0: Welcome back to the second edition of the Head First podcast. Uh, I'm back recording on my iPhone, which is on low battery, so let's hope that it holds out. Um, I'm planning a more comprehensive, longer um, podcast today because I've got lots of questions to get through. My name is Joe O'Brien. I run the Instagram page Head First, and this episode is going to tackle all of the um, all of the binge and emotional leading questions that I get or that I have got over the last few weeks. Um, it's been a really popular topic since I posted on it, and since I did a live on Rebecca Nolan's pod, or her Instagram Live, sorry, um, a lot of people have sent me questions relating to it, Uh, so I thought I'd compile those into one place, and deliver some, like, more, basically more in-depth answers for people who follow my Instagram, because a lot of the stuff I've done has been not on my Instagram page, so um, that's what I want to do today. It's a really significant topic, because binge eating disorder... Its lifetime prevalence rate in women is three and a half percent, and it's two percent in men, which is pretty significant by itself. Now, these statistics are actually from the DSM four criteria, which is like the old, it's like the old model of the diagnostic manual for mental health disorders. But even some of the recent European statistics estimated at somewhere similar. Similar. Um. But the reason it's important is not just because it impacts you know, two or three percent of the population, but rather that. It's a lot more likely that um, there's a lot of people who struggle at the subclinical level. and What that means is that if you suffer with binge eating, or emotional eating for that matter, um, without meeting the criteria for mental health disorder, then you'd be considered subclinical. Now, this isn't up to you uh, to decide. Um, if you're concerned about your eating behaviours, uh, definitely go and see a professional and they'll be able to inform you better. But. Just so you understand the concept a little bit better of being subclinical. If you feel down or you're struggling with low mood, that's one of of many of the symptoms of depression, right? But just feeling down doesn't mean that you necessarily have depression. There's other considerations before meeting the criteria for being diagnosed with depression um, as a disorder. So you might be subclinical if you experience maybe one, maybe two of um, of the symptoms. And this is absolutely the case with binge eating disorder because people can absolutely identify with, with some of the symptoms of binge eating and emotional eating. Um, for example, if it happens less frequently than is in the diagnostic manual, um, or you know you might have significant emotional distress that's related to your eating behavior. So these are all symptoms that you can have without necessarily being diagnosed with a mental health disorder and that's who this podcast is generally aimed at because if you feel like you meet the criteria for binge eating disorder, and I'll run through that criteria in a minute, um, I would absolutely urge you to see a mental health professional because mental health disorders are not a DIY job. And you'll hear me say that over and over and over again on my page um, and on my podcast, that if you struggle with a mental health disorder, it's very unlikely that you're going to find the answers on an Instagram page or on a podcast or a Facebook page. And of all the disorders that exist, eating disorders and addiction are two that literally can result in death. So if you're concerned about your eating, if you identify with any of the symptoms that I'm going to talk about, please, please go and get support from a mental health professional or ask your GP for best advice. Um, so as I said, I'm going to go through the questions that I get asked most about um, binge eating and go through some of the ones that I've been asked on other people's podcasts or their Instagram lives, whatever it is. Um, And the first question I I think it's important to define, straight away, is the difference between binge eating and emotional eating. Firstly, it's important to realize that there's no strict criteria for emotional or stress eating. Um, It might differ depending on who you talk to or what practitioner you see, but generally there's a few common symptoms. Whereas there is such a thing as binge eating disorder and it's a categorized mental health disorder with relatively clear criteria. And that criteria is eating more than normal, eating faster than normal, um, eating past the point of feeling full. You might have um, emotional distress, an emotional reaction, um, some sort of significant emotional uh, reaction associated with binge eating. Um, A lot of the time it can be secretive, there's a loss of control around your eating behaviours and there is an absence of compensatory behaviours. Uh, compensatory behaviors are things that you know you make up for the fact that you've been so things like purging starvation excessive exercise these kind of things there's an absence of that uh, with binge eating disorder so these symptoms need to happen over the course of three months at a minimum rate of once a week and generally a mental health practitioner will assess your situation um, around your symptoms to make a diagnosis please 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 whatever you do do not make a self-diagnosis um, if we compare that to emotional eating. Emotional eating is turning to food for comfort as like a temporary relief for stress or feeling down or whatever that emotion is. If we think about the factors that correlate with binge eating or some of the risk factors for binge eating disorder they include things like body image issues, um, significant trauma, uh, depression and association with food uh, and coping, comorbid psychiatric disorders and um, are these as I said, are, are risk factors. It doesn't mean there's one single cause. But apart from food as a coping strategy, none of these really apply to emotional eating. Um, another significant difference would be the amount of food consumed. So binging, as we said, uh, involves eating more than normal, faster than normal, eating past where you're full. Um, and you can, you can emotionally eat without necessarily binging. So, for example, someone might emotionally eat a bar of chocolate. They might turn to a bar of chocolate after having a stressful day at work. Um, but a binge for that person might be three bars of chocolate and a takeaway or whatever that is. Um, so quantities of food is certainly another distinct difference. Um, generally, the trigger for emotional eating, obviously, is um, emotion or stress. Whereas trigger for, triggers for binge eating could be you know, they range from a host of things. It could be environmental, it could be self-esteem issues, uh, it could be severe restriction, um, could be body image related issues and so on. There's so there's plenty of different triggers um for that for binge eating, whereas emotional eating tends to be emotion or, or stress. Um so I think they're the main differences. I hope that makes sense. Um they are both quite interlinked and obviously it's very easy to confuse them and people use them interchangeably. So Hopefully that explanation make th- makes things a little bit um a little bit clearer. Um leads me on to my nice, uh, my next question nicely. Um which is what is the difference between emotional and physical hunger? Now there's important distinctions between the two. Um physical hunger usually occurs gradually, emotional hunger tends to come on more quickly. Um when you're physically hungry, you're typically open to what type of food? What type of foods will satisfy you? So there's more than one option. But when you're eating to fill an emotional void, you tend to crave a specific food. It could be high carbs. Could be sugar. Could be something greasy. Um, generally, it's high calorie, nutrient deficient, um, highly palatable. Basically, rubbish food. Um, and emotional hunger. Sometimes um, won't be fulfilled until that craving is met. Now, there are ways of managing cravings, which I'll speak about a little bit later on. Um, if you are eating because you're hungry, you're more likely to stop when you're full. You're more likely to continue past the point of being full um, if you're emotionally eating or even binge eating. Um, and eating because you're physically hungry is rarely associated with that emotional reaction that kind of guilt or shame whereas emotional eating or binge eating uh, on the other hand can leave a person feeling guilty or ashamed or or whatever that emotional reaction is so next question is um, what are the causes of a binge the first thing that's important to note is that there's no single cause for binge eating disorder um, or for binge eating in general now I'm not saying we can't distinguish what the trigger for a binge is, um, and I'll cover triggers in a minute and the difference between a trigger and a cause, um, but the cause would be determining what causes binge eating more generally, not just what triggered a specific um, binge eating episode. So for example, if the root cause of someone's binge eating is low self-esteem or, or body issues, then social media and comparison, the constant comparison on social media might trigger those um, self-esteem related thoughts or the body image thoughts Um, and that in turn might trigger them to binge however social media isn't the cause of the binge eating it's the trigger so similarly even if they come off social media something else might impact their might have an impact on their self-esteem or trigger similar thoughts related to body image that in turn might trigger a binge because social media wasn't the cause but it was the trigger so i hope that makes sense The point is that there are many different aspects that can contribute to binging. Um, Eating disorders, look, they're incredibly complex, so there's no putting your finger on it and saying this is the cause of binge eating disorder because there is no one single cause. It's generally a combination of factors. Um, There's everything from self-esteem issues, body image issues, a preoccupation with weight and with image, uh, with dieting, with numbers, um, that can be a risk factor. there's a relationship between food and and a coping strategy so um i think i'll talk about that a little bit later on triggers on the other hand can be things like restriction so constantly being in a calorie deficit um restricting yourself from certain foods um being hungry can be a trigger being alone being tired uh, social occasions um social media as i mentioned stress emotion and so on it really really you know it really does go on forever there's a lot of things that can trigger a binge eating episode or trigger emotional eating Um, and just because there's a trigger doesn't mean it's a cause Um, but I think i made that distinction relatively clear Um, and the next question is does tracking food have any negative connotations now I mentioned a second ago that a restriction can be a trigger I also mentioned that a preoccupation with weight and with image and with dieting can be a risk factor so we know that people with disordered eating can have a preoccupation or a fixation with weight, with weight loss. Um, sometimes, or a lot of the time actually, that can relate in tracking calories or, or being preoccupied with what types of food they're eating. Sometimes it's a preoccupation with size or appearance, those kind of things. That's um, actually one of the primary predictors of disordered eating. Um, and I'm not saying tracking calories is the primary predictor of disordered eating. I'm saying that the preoccupation with many of those things is one of the primary predictors of disordered eating. Now, obviously, not everyone has these issues from tracking. Um, of course, some people track their macros and their calories and have a really good relationship with food. However, if you're struggling with restriction, excuse me, Um, If you're struggling with binging or your relationship with food, your relationship with your body image, I'd highly, highly, highly recommend repairing your relationship with food first and giving up the restriction for the time being. Ideally, we should be able to eat food without having a group of foods that you're not allowed. You, You should give yourself permission to eat whatever you like because we should have free reign this type of restriction and the black and white thinking around around dieting like oh i can't eat sugar i can't eat fat i can't eat after 6 p.m i have to train fasted all these black and white rules and, and restrictions can lead to binging they can feed the cycle and feed into the cycle of binging and dieting and can ultimately reinforce it um, i'm going to talk about the binging cycle on the next question but just to wrap up on this one if you find your your tracking um you're tracking calories or you're tracking macros or whatever it is and you're overly indulged with it if if it becomes obsessive if you become preoccupied with it and it still results in binging or severe restriction or any type of disordered eating then just stop it's it's definitely not for you if it's causing you or or still triggering binges within you so I would highly recommend repairing your relationship with food first before you you try and go on on restricting and and that kind of thing the next question is i always stress or binge eat how can i stop so this is a complicated one the first part of this is understanding the cycle that i was speaking about a second ago so the cycle of binging and dieting generally goes something like this it can obviously differ differ for different people but generally After after binge eating episode you feel bad I already spoke about that kind of guilt, shame, you know, negative feelings around um, or having an emotional reaction in response to binging. And then when you feel bad about binging, you tell yourself, well, I'd, I'd, I'd feel better if I didn't do this anymore. I'll try and lose weight or I'll try and eat healthy. This generally leads to some sort of restriction. So during restriction, your body is going to automatically tell you you need more food and you might have cravings. But generally, the, the restriction tends to be something like I'm um, cutting carbs or going keto, God forbid, um, or whatever it is, I'm cutting calories, I'm going to be in a calorie deficit. Um, you know, one of these fashionable nonsense diets. Anyway, once you start to see changes or feel better about yourself, um, it, I guess it's only natural to go into that mindset that, oh, I deserve a chocolate bar, I'm doing really well, um, let's get a takeaway tonight. And between restrictions and those cravings combined with hunger, wanting to go outside of your strict regime, it can trigger a binge. The thing is, is that you do deserve a, like you, you deserve a chocolate bar or a takeaway or whatever it is, but not because you've restricted yourself for so long, but because you're a person and you're allowed to enjoy food. It's nothing to do with, oh, I deserve it because I did this. and I'm, I'm only allowed to eat chocolate or I'm only allowed a takeaway because I've restricted for so long. That's not how it works. Um, you deserve it anyway you know you're allowed to enjoy food and that's part of getting rid of the rules around dieting because it's the black and white thinking that leads to restriction and feelings of failure when you step outside of your of your lane and stuff like that this is part of what what triggers and feeds into that binge um restriction cycle i guess or the 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 binge diet cycle um so that's the cycle what can we do to intervene in terms of the cycle um, and again, this kind of depends what stage you're at. Um, obviously, if it's impacting your life, if it's impacting your mood, your ability to function day to day, whatever that is, if you're at that point where it's impacting those things, go and see a mental health professional or go and see your GP because that's then significant enough for you, for it to warrant professional advice. Um, like if, if you knew that you were struggling with a significant uh, physical illness, you wouldn't be like, okay, I'm gonna tackle this, you know, broken arm by myself. Let's let's make my own cast. Nobody would ever say that. So don't do the same thing with, with a, a mental health struggle. Um, if you're struggling with any of those things and it's impacting your your mood, your relationships, your ability to, to do your day-to-day things, just go and see a mental health professional. The best thing that can come of it is that they tell you, you know, that you're you're fine and you've nothing to worry about. And the worst thing is that they tell you that you maybe there is something that you can tackle but again they're able to give you the best advice and tell you the best treatment options so you're in the best place anyway if you're not at that point if you just want to make some positive changes around your relationship with food one of the things that might be helpful is knowing your triggers so you can put strategies in place in order to um, prevent you from binging by knowing your triggers for example like the earlier example, um, if we know that social media is going to cause us to binge, or going to be a trigger for us to binge, it might be worth removing ourselves from it, or making a plan to cope with it better. So that could be putting away putting away your phone at times when you're at risk of binging, that could be at night, when you're alone, when you're emotional, Um, maybe not cutting it out altogether, but removing specific pages that maybe make you feel neg- negatively about yourself, or pages that don't add any value, and I'll also talk about that later on um, in a bit more depth. But knowing your triggers, um, what that does for you is it allows you to take steps towards getting rid of temptation. Now, the problem with this is that, basically, it's a short-term solution. And the reason it's a short-term solution is that, because you can't, you can't avoid this forever, okay? It's kind of the whole concept and the idea behind we'll take high-calorie foods out of the house or we'll take the kind of junk food out of the house. But from my own personal experience anyway, um, if someone takes the high-calorie foods out of the house, you'll just go to the shop, right? Because eventually those kind of cravings, um, they overcome the awkwardness of having to go to the shop. The cravings and the, the restriction... You'll give in. Well, I'm not saying you'll definitely give in. Some people give in. And it's likely that if your cravings are strong enough that you'll just go around the barrier that you've put in place. So that's why it's a short-term solution. It gives you the space to breathe and to not make it difficult by having constant temptations around, but it's not a long-term solution. So after knowing your triggers, um, the second way of intervening in the binge cycle is dealing with cravings. Um, Now I'll tackle this in a second but firstly it's important to note that cravings tend to reduce or reside over time whereas physical hunger increases over over time. So you knowing the difference between physical hunger and emotional cravings can be quite helpful. If you get cravings an idea might be to have a designated activity to go to in order to let those cravings pass. Um, It could be going for a walk, it could be removing yourself from the environment that you're in or whatever is tempting you at that time. Could be calling a friend or someone who you know could support you. Could be doing something social. Could be listening to music, reading, taking a shower, whatever. Something to distract you or fill the time while that craving resides. And excuse me, I'll talk about some of the common triggers in a second and what leads us to be at risk. But um, the last thing that I think, I think this is probably the best advice um, in terms of how we react to a binge. Um. The first thing to do is move on with your day. Don't let it distract you from what you were going to do because it'll make you feel worse if it's disturbing your day, if it's distracting you from doing things that you wanted to do. So first things first, move on with your day, do whatever you were going to do, regardless of whether you binged or not. Um, Secondly is learn from it. So reflect on it. What, What were you feeling at the time? What was your trigger? Um, what could you have changed? Is there anything that you could have done in the run-up to that to maybe have improved something? And um, What can you do going forward? I think the best thing about um, after a binging session is that you can learn an awful lot from it. It's only a negative if you don't learn from it. So if you can learn something every time you binge about yourself, why it occurred, then you're in a better place to make changes. And thirdly is be self-compassionate. And now it's very easy to say be self-compassionate. But really give yourself a break because... These things take time to tackle you 'll have bumps in the road along the way, and you should absolutely expect them don 't expect when you 're trying to tackle any mental health issue, never mind binge eating, but specifically with binge eating don 't expect that if you start tomorrow in trying to you know better your eating behaviors that it 's going to go swimmingly because there's going to be times when you struggle of course you need to expect them, and knowing how you 're going to react when it happens um, one of the key things so what are you going to do when it happens the short version um, is you know if you feel stressed you know find new ways to manage stress stress develop new coping strategies and over time with these new strategies you'll learn not to turn turn to binging anymore um but expect expect yourself to um i'm not even gonna say fail because it's not a failure expect there to be bumps in the road expect yourself to for everything not to go perfect and not to go swimmingly um and give yourself a break it's okay to step outside of you know your strict regime it's okay to go outside of what your expectations were or what your hopes were um, and part of that again is is going back to the the black and white thinking there is no you know there is no yes or no when it comes to success if you're you know, if you were binging six times a week and this week you binged five times a week, that's a step in the right direction. If you binged four times next week, that's still a step in the right direction. It's all about making small progress and, and celebrating those little wins. So give yourself a break and, and develop some self-compassion. Um, there's somebody who I follow on Instagram who's fantastic for it and her name is Amelia Thompson. Um, if you want, honestly, daily gratitude, daily compassion, um, fantastic stuff around body image. Um, go and follow her. Um, but that's my third tip. and um, be compassionate and give yourself a break. Um, I think I went in a bit of a rant there. <sighs> on to the next question. Um, I always binge after drinking. Why? So specifically, I actually did my uh, master's thesis on uh, drinking and hangover. So this is really interesting to me. Um. Specifically related to drinking, alcohol creates um, a thing called cognitive deficits. Um, and this impacts our ability to have self-control. Alcohol actually um, alcohol impacts so many areas of the brain, but one of the areas that it impacts is the frontal lobes. And part of their function is to help us self-regulate, um, help us resist impulses and temptation, um, and helps us make decisions basically. And those decisions tend to normally in a normal state of mind, uh, tend to be in line with our values. However, when we're drunk and even when we're hungover, um, there are significant brain deficits that make it more likely that we're going to binge. Um, because firstly, we're sleep deprived in general, um, or have had a bad sleep, and um, even if you go to sleep at the right time and you get the appropriate amount of sleep, the appropriate amount of hours, um, alcohol will still impact your quality of sleep. So that causes it, it, its own issues because sleep is really important for cognitive control. Uh, but mainly it's because we're more impulsive, uh, we're less likely to regulate ourselves and resist temptation and we're more likely to go for highly palatable, high calorie foods. So being drunk and being hungover alike um, will create, basically will create cognitive deficits and make it more likely um, that we're going to engage in a binge. There are also... Um, other scenarios where it might include uh, or it might increase sorry um, the likelihood of you binging um, i think this is really really important because these are really really common especially in in food and eating but also in in addiction um, the first the first one is being alone so loneliness is is often a trigger for binging uh, because binging can often be secretive it can sometimes manifest in binging when you're alone um, so that's one thing to look out for um, you might be at, at a higher risk of binging if you're alone, uh, or even feeling alone. Secondly, is tiredness. When we're tired, we tend to be sleepy. Like I said, um, sleep has significant, uh, creates significant cognitive deficits if we don't get enough. Um, often when we're tired, it's generally after a long day at work, or you know, you've had the entire day to to come across something stressful. So you might be a bit stressed and these things can make it more likely that you're gonna binge. Thirdly is being emotional or being stressed, which is an obvious one, I think. But the main thing here is um, that if you struggle with stress, excuse me, with stress or emotion, um, then that's also your solution. So finding new ways to cope with stress and emotion. Could be exercise. um. Exercise is a really, really good. one. I did a post on my Instagram about what exercise does for does for mental health, um, so it could be exercise, it could be seeing a professional, it could be talking to a friend, it could be doing something more social, um, could be journaling, could be mindfulness, whatever it is. If the root cause of your of your eating behaviors, or not the cause, if your trigger, if your trigger is um, stress, or if your trigger is emotion, um, the main thing is to tackle stress or emotion because. If it's the cause, it is potentially also the, the cure. Um, and lastly is hunger. So being hungry can lead us to uh, craving more tempting foods, high calorie, high, highly palatable, uh, basically re- rewarding foods for the brain. And this has been replicated throughout the research. However, when we give in to our cravings, that can lead to uh, like re-engaging in the binge cycle. So uh, like, things like, I feel bad after eating that, so I'll keep going, but I'll start again on Monday. Um, so manage, managing your hunger and eating when you're hungry don't beat yourself up if you do eat a piece of chocolate it's okay um, and also don't go shopping when you're hungry um, that's an important one next question how can I lose weight when I struggle with binging so again kind of covered this earlier but always 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 recommend tackling your relationship with food before you go and try and restrict more or be in a calorie deficit or follow some sort of fad diet You're potentially fueling the binge cycle all over again. Um, So if you're trying to lose weight, but you're continually binging, I would look at the relationship with food first before ever trying to to lose weight. Um, It's likely that you won't make a lot of progress long-term without first repairing your kind of relationship with food. Um, I overeat in social, sorry, next question. (laughs) I overeat in social situations, but not anywhere else. Why? so this can sometimes partially be because it's easy to miss your your natural hunger signals. Now look, social occasions there's a lot of variables at stake so are at play. So you won't. It's very difficult to identify for sure. But one of the things that it could be, um, is because you miss your natural hunger signals. One of the things that I recommend to people is when you're eating to pay attention to your body signals, and it's the kind of move. There's a kind of movement around intuitive eating at the moment, um, and it's something that so many people don't do especially during things like social occasions but even um even things like watching TV being on your phone and just being easily distracted um you're just less likely to pay attention to your body signals you don't know when you're full and when you do realize you're full you're actually you feel bloated you feel like you've overeaten and you you know you might feel negatively about yourself because you've eaten so much um I'd really recommend uh, reading Laura Thomas's book. Um, She puts out really, really cool stuff on Instagram too. So if you wanna learn more about intuitive eating and kind of paying attention to your body's signals and repairing your relationship with food, I'd highly, highly recommend it. Um, The basic principles of intuitive eating, they they seem simple, but a lot of people don't practice them. So if you're struggling with uh, kind of mindlessly eating or eating without even realizing and then eventually realizing and, and feeling bloated or feeling like you've eaten too much or feeling regrets um i'd definitely say make your meals a specific occasion so do your eating in a situation where you're not distracted by your phone or your laptop or the tv or whatever it is if it's social occasions yeah of course um there's techniques that you can like you can learn to pay more attention or, or even just be more mindful of it at the time that you know you're going to this situation when you eat um, let's pay attention to my body signals. Let's eat slower than normal. Let's, um, let's sit down and eat. Let's, see, let, let's eat a small amount first and see how I feel after the small amount. These kind of small tactics and just being more mindful of it might make a difference. But um, I would highly recommend Laura Thomas's book in terms of intuitive eating because that's not specifically my area. Um, but again, it's one of the things that I would recommend um, testing out. Next um, question. Um, does the 10k calorie challenge have a negative effect on people's relationship with food by normalizing overeating or is it the opposite now this one is so interesting i can't say for sure because this type of thing hasn't been you know it hasn't been researched but if we apply what we know about psychology i'd say that it's this is kind of a crappy answer but it's person dependent you can see two ways of looking at this right one is that oh look at all the fitness models they can eat all the calories and still look like fitness models you know that's fantastic the other is they're normalizing binging they're promoting unhealthy food behaviors and you know it's 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 going to feed off negatively on on some people the problem is is the whole n equals one dilemma and what n equals one is, is it means that Basically, N is the, is the symbol for um, the amount of people in a study. Um, that's what scientists use to represent the, the sample size. Um, so N equals 1 means that, oh, it applies to me, therefore it applies to everyone. It means that if one person does something and just assumes it applies to the whole population, but it actually doesn't. So it's one person's experience, and that isn't generalizable to the nation. And that's what's happening in this situation, is that these fitness models, these Instagram famous people, whatever they are their own person and everyone faces really really different situations and you know these people are full-time instagram fitness models generally and um, you don't do what they do so what they're doing it's what like five probably not even five percent like one percent of the the world the population i don't know absolute guess (laughs) but what they're doing literally doesn't apply to a massive massive percentage of the population because you're not them so if they can eat all those foods and look like they do that doesn't mean anything for you because you're not them fair enough if you're in their exact situation but you're not um i think that's really really important to realize another thing uh, with that is that um you know there is no one cause of binging like i said earlier i remember um I remember when I was younger and, and Grand Theft Auto was big. everyone in the media was saying, "Oh look this grand Theft auto, this is the reason there's shootings, and this is the reason there's violence." But the people who ended up acting violently they tend to have their own issues going on, and, and watching the video game watching you know the violence might have triggered that action, but similarly with disordered eating it's not about food although you know food is the medium that the behavior is expressed in but it doesn't mean that exposing yourself to the 10k calorie challenge is going to be the cause of disordered eating but again it could be a trigger um the thing is is with you know these fitness pros or instagram models i'm 100 percent sure that some of them will practice things that would not be helpful for most people but it works for them so you know they might have really really severe restrictions during cutting phase but that same restriction could genuinely cause significant problems for other people and manifest in binging so similarly the 10k challenge might be okay for some fitness bloggers who have a fantastic relationship with food if they even do and um, they might have a good relationship with exercise but for the normal run-of-the-mill person who doesn't work out every day who struggles with binges who has a regular nine to five that ends up going on till eat um the people who find it difficult to have balance in their diet of course it gives them unrealistic expectations it insinuates that it's easy to find balance and it's and it's not like it's absolutely not i'm sure some people look at it and create creates massive envy in them or you know they might feel really crap because you know they're trying really hard to manage yet there's people out there who binge like that and look like a fitness model So there's a significant level of of dissonance between what the calorie challenge shows and what the reality is. Um, The thing is with Instagram is that I always say that if you're following someone who's not adding value to your life, just unfollow them. So in this example, um, if you're following someone who does these challenges but you struggle with your own relationship with food, what has that person taught you? Ask yourself, what has this person taught me? Has watching this person's videos added anything to my knowledge? Have they added any value to my life? If you've been following them for like, okay, hypothetically, you've been following somebody for six months, um, what has their channel done to help me make changes in the last six months? If it's nothing, just unfollow them. They're adding no value. If you find that they're adding something to your life, then keep them. And that's the other argument, I guess, is that you can say that, look, it, it shows people can manage their food over time and allows for these binge days. But again, that's not a healthy message to be putting out, in my opinion, because more people struggle with it than don't. You know, more people are obese than are shredded fitness models. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I get the intent and I can see a lot of people saying, oh, well, look, it does help because X, Y, and Z. But it's important to realize that If you're listening to this and you're not a fitness blogger, you're going to have different obstacles and blindly following someone on Instagram won't repair your relationship with food. Blindly following someone on Instagram, you're not them. So it doesn't apply to you. Like I said, the N equals one thing. Just because one person does it and it works for them doesn't mean it applies to the whole population. If you too are an Instagram fitness model and you're listening to to this, then, you know, maybe the 10K challenge will, will be okay for you. But in general, not a big fan. Um, You have different obstacles than they do. Um, And if you're struggling with food and if you're struggling with your relationship with your body image, make those changes. Delete the person on Instagram if they're not adding something to your life. Um, And just reflect on what social media and these influencers are doing for you. Um, Are they adding anything to your life or are they making you feel shit? Okay, sorry, another rant over. (laughs) The next question is do you think uh slogans in the media like burn off your pizza with this workout can negatively uh, negatively affect someone's relationship with exercise um what it does in my opinion really is that it insinuates that you should be burning off your calories um you you should and again this is black and white language you should burn off your calories that you eat and if you don't you should feel guilty or you shouldn't be eating these foods without burning them off which is absolutely ridiculous ridiculous concept and um, definitely 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 an unhealthy message to be sending out obviously exercise is a great way to stay, stay healthy and all that jazz I'm not going to debate that <laughs> obviously but if you feel like if you're feeling compulsively like you need to work out or you know feeling that every single thing you eat you have to burn off those calories it's absolutely a negative, it's definitely a negative um If you feel that exercising is how to kind of negate um the impact that's made by food, then it's definitely definitely not a good message um It's certainly not positive for any media outlet to be insinuating that you should be doing that again, like I said earlier we we should have one hundred percent full permission with no exceptions to eat what we enjoy and not feel like we need to punish ourselves for eating. You know for eating whatever we want we don't we shouldn't punish ourselves by by trying to always oh I have to work it off I edit I add a I don't know I edit a Chinese I have to work it off or I ate, a chocolate bar I have to work it off I have to you know do two thousand steps to work off x y and Z it it should not absolutely work by that like that to me that insinuates that you have potentially an unhealthy relationship with food or with exercise and I would definitely look closer at that um if you have a balanced approach to food and you develop a healthy relationship with your with yourself and your body, you should be able to eat these like inverted commas bad foods or high calorie foods without having those emotional reactions and the compulsion to exercise. So if you do feel that way and you have the urges to work off everything that you eat, it's essentially basically it's acting as as a compensatory behavior. Um I would definitely Ask your your GP or a mental health professional about how to combat it because compensating for everything you eat or feeling the compulsion or nece- feeling like a, you excuse me feeling a necessity to go and exercise is, is definitely not um, a healthy mindset to have excuse me again um, the ads or the slogans in the media outlets don't they don't cause people to have a poor relationship with food. But those slogans aren't targeted at people with a healthy relationship with food. They're targeted at people who don't have a positive relationship with food. And that's essentially why they're putting out that message. And it's a bad message to be putting out. They're essentially taking advantage of people who do feel like that. In order to trigger some sort of business or clickbait or whatever it is. Um, So yeah, that to me, negative negative message. Um, Next question. Is binge eating a habit and can it be broken? So... Um, binge eating and emotional eating as well. Binge eating can um, definitely develop as a coping strategy and over time, sometimes people rely on it to cope when they're stressed. So there's things things called neural pathways in the brain um, and it's essentially, the they're the things that drive our rewards, they're the things that drive our behavior. Um, these things in the brain, they're Basically, at the, at the point where you're relying on it is, is where it's really, really ingrained in your brain. So these neural pathways in the brain, they, they might be so ingrained um, to the point where someone gets stressed, they immediately crave a certain type of food. It can be a bad habit. It, it can be more than that, of course. Um, but it, it can be broken as well. Um, I used this description um, on Rebecca Nolan's um, Instagram Live in terms of describing what it's like to try and form a new habit. And I think it's pretty useful because, again, it can kind of help us realize that we shouldn't beat ourselves up um, and that we should be more lenient on ourselves when we go outside of you know, what we intend to do. So imagine you're in a field of really overgrown grass, but there's one really defined pathway, so one that has been there for hundreds of years and everybody walks through that way, on the, through the field, through that kind of um, pathway. Now, you decide, you take it upon yourself to make a new pathway on the other side. Now, it takes a long time to walk the new path before it comes to a state where it's an established, you know, it's as established as the old path, and that's what a habit is. So habit is when something's so established, it's like almost your default, almost your go-to. And making a new pathway in the brain is what you're trying to do by making this new pathway in the field. Um while you're trying to make this new pathway and you keep walking down this this new road you're basically walking into this overgrown grass and you're going to keep walking through that overgrown grass until it becomes more established and more established and that could be like your new coping strategy but your old coping strategy is the really well established pathway so while you're using the new pathway it's likely that most of the time people will still use the old pathway so you'll still go off course sometimes if you're trying to recover from your binge eating sometimes you will binge but still trying to form a new pathway by walking into the long grass and still trying to form a new coping strategy however the m- the more times that you walk through the new path the more other people will use it too and eventually over time and multiple times you know sometimes you'll you'll go on the old path but multiple times through using the new path the new path will be built and there'll be less and less reliance on the old path um so that's why it's important to practice self-compassion and give yourself a break when you're trying to establish a better way to cope or a better way to manage food because it's not an overnight process. Think about it in, in in those terms. Think about you trying to make this new path. You're trying to get everybody to use it, but nobody's using it at the start. And it takes effort and it takes time and it takes a lot of perseverance to keep going down that new path. And that new path is your new coping strategy. Like I said earlier, it could be exercise. It could be walking outside, it could be walking the dog, being social, mindfulness, whatever it is for you, that's what your new pathway is. And if you say, I'm going to use this new pathway, this is going to be my new way of coping with stress or emotion, this is going to be my new habit, my new go-to, it'll take time to make that new path. It's not an overnight process, so give yourself a break when other people start using the old path, and even when you get tired, sometimes you use the old path. And the old path will be when you step out of line in terms of your, your binge eating or whatever it is. Um, but again, don't have that black or white view because of course people are going to use the old path. Of course you're going to use the old path sometimes because it's super, super easy. It's already well established. You haven't established your new habit yet. So give yourself some self-compassion. Don't look at things in such a, such a black and white f- uh, fashion, I guess, because... There's a reason these neural pathways are there um, and there's a reason they're so well established because they're established over time. Um, so it'll take time to establish your, um, your new pathways. And this might be the last question. Um, why do I do it even though I know how awful I'll feel afterwards and it serves no purpose? Now, if you look at any um, compulsive behavior, any addiction, um, people know it has short-term negative consequences or negative emotions and a lot of the time has a long-term impact too so think about something like smoking people who smoke and don't want to smoke they know that it's bad but that doesn't predict what we do so knowledge of how awful you might feel afterwards doesn't predict your behavior it's the same that goes with smoking drugs alcohol you know any compulsive behavior like compulsive sexual activity compulsive shopping the list literally goes on and on the thing is is that it does actually serve a purpose so your eating behavior hasn't likely hasn't developed from nothing Um, and seeing a professional can help kind of unwind or or identify the reasons why you might be engaging in your way of eating and in turn help you tackle it so i'm not going to get on into all the reasons that um, someone might be eating in a disordered way because probably not safe for people to be tackling things like this by themselves i absolutely don't recommend it so Go and see a professional for the best advice on it. But the thing to realise is that it does serve a purpose. Um, even if you know you'll feel shit after it, that doesn't predict your behaviour because sometimes your your kind of urges, or your cravings, will override um what you know. It'll override kind of logic, I guess. Um. So yeah. Um. That's all I want to say on that. Is it? Yeah. Cool. Um. I'm going to finish off with a couple of tips that I would like people to leave with. And then it will be the end of my second podcast. And those tips are number one is uh, no, where is my battery doing? Oh, it's doing okay. Oh, we're doing okay. Um, The tips are first of all, knowing when to get support. So don't be afraid to get support. Disordered eating is super difficult, super complex, like I mentioned. And it's not something um, that people get around really easily or or by themselves. Talk to a mental health professional if you're struggling and get the right treatment if necessary, because like I said, best case scenario is they tell you you're fine, but worst case scenario is they identify some issue, but they can tell you the best course of action. So at least you're really well informed, you know you're doing the right thing. Whereas if you tackle these things by yourself, it, it's literally guesswork um, a lot of the time. Um, if part of your eating behavior is down to disordered thought processes or cognitive distortions, um, it's likely that you you won't be able to see outside of those by yourself, so please, please, please get support if if you think you need it, um, because there's definitely things you can do to recover from disordered eating. Tip number two is getting rid of the rules around food. Um, I already spoke about the black and white thinking, but there is no perfect diet. There's no one diet that's best for everybody. So if everyone on in the internet could stop preaching that, that'd be great. Um. But it's really important to realize that there is no perfect diet. Um there's no, you know, there's no one diet that's that's ideal for everybody. Like I said, the the fitness blogger what they can do is very different to what you can do and what you can do is very different probably than what I can do. So remove the black and white thinking around that. There is no right and wrong. There is no you can eat carbs before 6 but not after 6. These rules around dieting are absolutely ridiculous. Um Embrace the fact that eating can actually be flexible. You don't have to like the same thing as everyone else. You can go down whatever route you want. You don't even have to put a label on yourself. You don't have to say, oh, I follow X diet or I follow Y's food behavior or whatever it is. You don't have to have that. Embrace the fact that eating and food is really, really flexible. And it doesn't have to be tracked to the calorie or to the macro. Get rid of your rules around food. So that's my second tip. And the third is developing self-compassion. Um it's absolutely okay to have a bump in the road um on your way to recovering like I said about the the grass and the path it's it's totally okay people are going to use the the old path all the time you just keep trying to make your new path and it'll take time it'll take effort there'll be bumps in the road um but you're on the way to recovery as long as you keep trying to make that new path um it's okay not to do a gym session if you don't feel like it it's okay to eat that thing that seems really scary right now. It's it's absolutely okay. Give yourself a break. Um so literally my last tip is is don't be hard on yourself. Um it's hard enough being an adult, never mind. Um like you don't need to make it more difficult by beating yourself up over over the little things like oh, I had two bars of chocolate when I should not have had two bars of chocolate. So develop self-compassion. Um it feeds into that um, dieting and binge cycle because if you can develop some self-compassion and tell yourself that it is okay um, to sometimes go outside the or sometimes go off the um, off track a little bit and um, that'll feed into your feelings around how you feel after your binge and in turn won't manifest in maybe you going res- putting in more rules or, or putting in restrictions so and um, last tip give yourself a break and develop some self-compassion and um, that is it from me. That's all the questions that I wanted to tackle. Um, hopefully some, if not all of you, have got something of use to uh, from this podcast. Um, I'll be doing a post on my page this weekend about autism um, because it's Autism Awareness Month, as far as I believe. Um, We'd really appreciate it if you check that out. And I have a post on diet and mental health to come soon. So uh, check out the Instagram. It's at headfirst with a zero at the end. Uh, My name's Joe O'Brien, and thank you very much for tuning in to my second podcast.